I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That is good news for us, but that is also bad news for us. <laughs> and if we are to understand how it can be both at the same time, we have to do a little unpacking. Today's gospel lesson is actually the first of two occasions in Matthew when Jesus speaks this phrase. Today's gospel is taken from the ninth chapter of Matthew, and the other time this phrase appears is not long after, in the twelfth chapter of Matthew. And both times, in chapter 9 and in chapter 12, Jesus is having an argument with some Pharisees. In chapter 9, they're arguing about the company that Jesus keeps. The Pharisees are scandalized that Jesus would share table fellowship with tax collectors and sinners. And it is very important for us to note here that the Pharisees are not just being elitist snobs. There was some precedent in both the written tradition of the Torah and the oral tradition of the rabbis for not associating with those who were unrepentant. And indeed, Jesus himself had already said that he had not come to abolish the law and the prophets, and he had spoken publicly about the high moral demands of the kingdom of heaven. So the Pharisees were probably understandably confused. That's the first time this phrase shows up. The second time, in chapter 12, Jesus and the Pharisees are again arguing. This time it's about the proper way to observe the Sabbath. Jesus and his disciples are on their way to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and on their way they pass through some fields of grain. The disciples are hungry, so they pluck some of the heads of grain and they eat them. The Pharisees see this as a violation of the laws regarding Sabbath observance. Harvesting grain and processing it for eating involves work, and you don't do that on the Sabbath. But Jesus disagrees, and he says to the Pharisees, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, then you would not have condemned the guiltless. Two times, in close proximity, both involving an argument about some point of law, both involving a disagreement about how best to understand what it means to be faithful people. Now, one thing we need to immediately set aside here is the expectation that the Pharisees were just flat out wrong. We are probably inclined to see the Pharisees as self-righteous, judgmental, fundamentalist types who espoused an overly scrupulous reading of the law. And we are probably inclined to see Jesus as an open-minded, tolerant, compassionate type who was more interested in the spirit of the law than in the letter. So, of course, we think Jesus will interpret the law in a much more accommodating and graceful manner. But when we read this story in this way, we fall into the trap of thinking that the primary thing that Jesus and the Pharisees are arguing about is the law. Self-righteous, legalistic Pharisees over here, open-minded, compassionate Jesus over here. What they're arguing over are matters of religious or spiritual principle. But that ultimately is not what is going on in either story. The law may very well be the presenting issue, but it is not the real issue. 
And the thing that inclines me to say this has everything to do with that enigmatic phrase that Jesus speaks both times. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Now, as we might expect, Jesus is not making that up. He's getting it from the Hebrew scriptures, right? Surprise, surprise. (laughs) More specifically, he's getting it from the book of the prophet Hosea. Hosea was a prophet who lived about 750 years before the time of Jesus. And Hosea was active as a prophet during a time when the kingdom of Israel was divided. Following the death of King Solomon, the son of David, Israel split into a southern half and a northern half. And Hosea, it seems, lived in the northern half. And during Hosea's lifetime, one of the major challenges that Israel faced was not just the division and the weakening of the kingdom, but the encroaching threat of the Assyrian Empire. Hosea did not think things were going to go well for Israel. He saw the people turning away from the covenant, turning away from God, and he saw a hostile foreign empire threatening the borders. And as it turns out, he was right. Things did not go well for Israel. And in the sixth chapter of the book of Hosea, we find this passage. The Lord God speaks to Israel and says, what shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? There's the divided kingdom. Ephraim is the north, Judah is the south. God is exasperated with both of them. What shall I do with you? Your love is like a morning cloud, like a dew that goes away early. Therefore, I will hew you by the prophets. I will slay you with the words of my mouth, and my judgment will go forth. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. I desire the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Now, what is God doing here in the midst of this situation? God is calling his people back to himself. Judgment is at hand, and God is holding out the promise of redemption. The covenant has been broken, but God is offering the possibility of restoration and reconciliation. Because of their foolishness and their disobedience, the people of God found themselves backed into a very small corner, but despite their faithlessness, God was going to be faithful, and God's desire was to save them and to deliver them. Jesus draws on that tradition for a reason, and that reason has everything to do with what Jesus said God was doing in and through the ministry of Jesus himself. Once again, God is calling his people back to himself, back to covenant faithfulness, back to the law, back to the temple, back to the witness of the prophets, back to all of it. But now, all of those things were going to be reconfigured around Jesus himself. The covenant and the law and the temple and the prophets and judgment and salvation and all of it were being reimagined and rehabilitated in and through Jesus. From now on, steadfast love and mercy and the knowledge of God would be defined in terms of him. That is what Jesus and the Pharisees are arguing about. Not just whether or not it's okay to have dinner with some sinners and tax collectors, not just whether or not it's okay to eat raw grain on the Sabbath, 
What they're arguing about is whether or not Jesus was himself in whom God would redeem Israel. Now, what does that mean for us? I mentioned earlier that there is both good news here and bad news here. How does this reading of Matthew's gospel help us recognize each of those? Here it is in a nutshell. God desires mercy and not sacrifice. That's good news. We don't. We prefer sacrifice. That's bad news. (laughs) We may say we prefer mercy, We may say we prefer the steadfast love of God, but when push comes to shove, we will choose sacrifice every time. And the reason for that is that sacrifice feels so good. (laughs) It makes us feel like we have accomplished something, like we have offered some worthwhile service to God. Sacrifice has a way of reassuring us. Sacrifice feels like a way of realigning things. Do this wrong thing over here, offer this sacrifice over here, and everything kind of balances out. Yes, God may not like that thing I did over here, but surely he'll take notice of this sacrifice that I made over here. That's got to count for something. Sacrifice is one of the ways that we hold on to our sense of self-respect. Sacrifice is one way that we cling to our sense of achievement and control. That's why we like it. Mercy doesn't work like that. We don't accomplish anything when we receive mercy. Mercy feels radically unbalanced because it is. (laughs) We may deserve something else entirely, but we receive mercy. Having a deep sense of our need for mercy doesn't do much for our sense of self-respect or our sense of control. But mercy is exactly what we need. And in Jesus, mercy is exactly what God gives us. It is mercy that has made us members of God's covenant people. It is mercy that makes room at the table for tax collectors and sinners and even for legalistic self-righteous Pharisees. Those who are well have no need of a physician, only those who are sick. Jesus does not call the well. Now we have two other stories in today's gospel that give us a very clear sense of what mercy looks like. A leader of the synagogue loses his daughter, so he sets aside his social standing and his respectability, and he goes to Jesus desperate, and he says, my daughter has died. Come and make her live. What a foolish, unreasonable hope. A woman suffering from a debilitating chronic condition too embarrassed to approach Jesus directly sneaks up behind him and reaches out in desperation and says, maybe this time. None of those people had anything to offer. None of them were in a position to make any kind of sacrifice or negotiate any kind of bargain. They came to Jesus because they had no other choice, and they knew it. And his mercy made them well. God desires mercy, not sacrifice, and that is very good news for us. 
because it is through God's mercy that we receive everything that God has to offer. All of his wisdom, all of his holiness, all of his power, all of his life. God's mercy is able to overcome every challenge that we face, every heartache we experience, every stupid mistake we have ever made. God's mercy is able to restore us to fullness of life and to make us whole. So go and learn what that means. Learn what it means to receive the mercy that God gives to you in Jesus. And learn what it means to experience that mercy in your heart and in your mind and in your whole life. And then share that mercy with those around you. Share God's mercy with sinners and with tax collectors and even share it with legalistic Pharisees and with those who are sick and with those who are perishing. And you will find in doing so that God's mercy will be poured out on you even more abundantly. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen.